Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to Attacking Third, brought to you by the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Card. Reward your passion and earn points when you stay close to the action. I'm your host, Jenny Chu, here with Lisa Carlin. Darian Jenkins, who, as we know, is the current Chief of Staff for Gotham FC, was due to be in with us today, but as we'll be discussing matters relating directly to the club, Gotham declined to make her available as a representative of the organization's front office. Uh, we now bring in Sandra Herrera, our friend here, who can give us the context of what's happening with Gotham right now. Hey, how's it going, y'all? Disappointment. That's what's happening with Gotham right now. I think we're coming off the tail end here almost a week out from when this franchise lifted its first ever NWSL championship trophy. And there's been some headlines around the team in terms of how they've been navigating their post-championship celebrations. They have been ones that kind of have excluded their supporters, season ticket holders, and fans along the way. So I think that is kind of what's in the headlines right now. There's some disappointment in that some of the list of events that they've gone out and mailed out to media to say, hey, look at these things that we're doing to celebrate the players did not actually include those more traditional, stereotypical championship type of events that kind of provide a play the players that that specific roster with a platform to connect directly with fans of the club. This is an organization in Gotham that did release an email saying that they were going to celebrate somewhat. They The team did go to um, the NASDAQ and they rang the opening bell of the stock market and, and they did go to the Empire State Building, but it was very secluded. The fans necessarily weren't included, Sandra, and they weren't um, there. And, and this is a club that does cross state borders. It is New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC. So there yeah. are a lot of fans. I mean, what do these fans want? What did they want to see from Gotham after this championship win? Yeah, you know, I think it's an interesting way how you kind of pose that question because there, there is like a little bit of a blueprint. I mean, this is not the first time there's been an NWSL championship winner in this in this league. It's it's year eleven. There's actually history to take a look at and go back and see what are some things that other clubs and teams have done. How have they gotten it right in terms of being able to celebrate a monumental moment like that? 
versus what Gotham had prepared going into this week of celebrations. Again, when you are referring to that email of things that went out, it was just two items. And you mentioned the the, the New York, the NASDAQ, the stock exchange and visiting the Empire Sibling. And these are cool things for the players to kind of get out there and enjoy the, the market, the the city that they're representing. But um, I don't know if the Empire State Building is going to be your new season ticket holder next year. And I don't know if they got any of those folks at the stock exchange to to buy in and, and go to games next year. I, I don't know. Well, we'll have to stay and wait and see the data points on that. But I think if you look at the history of this league and what clubs have tried to do, there are some things that you can look at maybe pre and post pandemic. I think a lot of what we heard coming out of this championship week is that those early eras of the championship from 2013 to 2016 are definitely moments that players are ready to, to move on from. History is important. It's there to learn from. And I think a lot of what we heard from players who have been in those championships before, whether it was Lynn Williams or Megan Rapino or Heli Krieger, or even Laura, head coach Laura Harvey of O.L. Reign, they're aware that that was then and this is now. They want to have all of this attention. They want to keep this momentum going, moving forward into other places. So we have seen, even if we're looking at that sort of mid-tier of the NWSL's history, there have been opportunities for clubs to try to connect that celebration with fans. I mean, that's what you see across all sports. There's often an opportunity for the winning roster to interact with fans. So we're not seeing that from this Gotham FC side. In 2017, we saw a little bit of a an airport rally from supporters to welcome in Portland Thorns. And then the Thorns followed that up with an in-person rally in their stadium, right in the supporters end with a stage set up for multiple players to get on mic. We saw them do similar in 2022 when they won the championship just last year. It provided the platform for an iconic mic drop from a teenager in Olivia Moultrie saying, hey, the best thing I ever did was sue the league. It was worth it to get this moment. It provides that moment for interaction for those players on the roster who won the championship and the fans that have supported them. I think even even when they were going back and forth, the Thorns and North Carolina Kurds, there's a window of time in the history of the championship where one of those teams were in competition for the biggest trophy in the league. And so when the North Carolina Courage won, I believe, in 2018, they had something similar. They had fans greeting them at the airport. And while they didn't have something directly on their pitch facility, they did have something in a, I believe it was like a pub atmosphere. So it was open to fans and there was a connection there between that current roster and fans. So I think it's being viewed as a bit of a missed opportunity, a real missed window to celebrate not only the players, but also the supporters who have been with your team along the way. And really even some of those casual fans as well, that you may have picked up on a bandwagon throughout these rounds of playoff uh, postseason play. So I think it's, uh, it's disappointing to, to say the least. I think if you're looking at things from, you know, Gotham's side of things, but it's also a bit unserious for me, Lisa, as well. I think we often try to find ways to, to counteract those narratives about soccer in America and growing it here and what that looks like and to not have the opportunity to provide this moment to your current roster and to fans who have supported this club through many difficult things is a deeply unserious move. 
I completely agree with you there, Sandra. I think that everyone is pretty upset about this. I mean, fans took to social media to express their disappointment and mostly hurt for the lack of a place where they could celebrate these players that a lot of fans have been following for so long, especially in difficult times. Mind you, they were last in the league last season and they were fans out there for them. Now they deserve something to celebrate. So I think we're all on the same page there that this was incorrect. We saw that Gotham issued an apology. Um, but what can they do now in terms of celebrating this team? You know, it's hard to tell, Jenny. I, I do wonder if that window has that may have closed uh, at this point. Again, we're coming upon about a week out from when they actually won this championship. And I mean, when we're talking about um, recollecting just some of those blueprints, right, some of those previous championship celebrations in the past. I mean, Washington Spirit is a club that dropped the ball a little bit when when their team was able to go ahead and lift that trophy. They did something similar. They said, OK, we're going, we won this championship. We're going to celebrate the right way. We're going to have some time in front of us to plan. Come celebrate with us. We will have a parade in 2022. That ended up not happening. They ended up having a ring ceremony in the springtime of, of May 2022. And I think that's part of the, the dynamic here, too, that's very, very interesting. That you know year to year rosters turn over, rosters change. So if the plan is to maybe look ahead in order to have something more put together, more representative of those celebrations, you're still missing a window. You're still missing a mark. And some of those players that may have been part of this very unique championship run might not be available or on that roster in 2024. So you're missing an opportunity and you're doing a disservice to not only your fans at that point, but honestly, the players that help get you here to lift this trophy. Exactly, Sandra. The window of opportunity is small after a championship for teams, for players, for fans, to, for a city to celebrate a win. And you look at the landscape of the offseason in the NWSL, mm -hmm. there is free agency. There is an expansion draft happening. There is retirement. Allie Krieger is retired. Players leave market because they no longer have responsibility to be at the training facility or in market anymore. So there is a really short window for these fans and the teams to celebrate together. Gotham did issue a statement about this um, to the fans. They issued a few different statements um, saying that uh, the fans are the backbone of the club and we let you down. We extend our sincere apology. Um, and they pledged to use the offseason to organize celebrations to benefit a championship club. There's also an element for the this Gotham side to grow their club and to grow their fan base when you have a celebration. And, and it doesn't have to be a giant ticker tape parade through New York City or a huge championship parade, but even to have some type of celebration at Red Bull Arena or in Manhattan for these players, is that possible on the horizon for next year, Sandra? Or is it the, the boat has sailed at that point? I mean, I would hope so. I think now that you've got a couple of statements out there from the club, albeit maybe they're a little conflicting, one is here's the plan, and then the next one was here's an apology about that said plan. Maybe that is still on the horizon for them. It would have been nice to, I think, maybe see this club follow the, 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 the blueprint that Portland has kind of laid out set something up in your supporter section, maybe have a platform for your players. doesn't have to be um, something that takes up a huge amount of time. You've got resources within that facility, whether it's your PA system, mics, allow players and fans to kind of interact with each other a little bit. Get some more of those iconic images for this club and this roster as they lifted that trophy. But, you know, I think at this point, you have to take a look at what's also going on in the offseason of the league. We're already in the middle of a trade window at this point. Uh, 
we can get new signings uh, announced for through free agency as early as Monday. So I do wonder if that window has uh, pass them by for, for this particular uh, immediate sense. I mean, I think when I use those examples of North Carolina, we were talking that following Monday in the triangle where the Courage players at the time were able to to celebrate. So I do wonder if maybe we're pushing it a little bit too close. But in the event that that is the blueprint they want to follow, I hope it's a, a really big turnout for them at Red Bull Arena. 100%, Sandra. Thank you so much for bringing us the insight here on that. But we're going to have you on later on the show, so stay with us because we have more Sandra Herrera. I know we love to have you on for all of your insight. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the WSL weekend action and some of the massive games coming up. Lisa bringing us this preview. This is a look at the weekend fixtures for the Barclays Women's Super League. On Saturday, Chelsea will be playing against Liverpool on CBS Sports Network. And on Sunday, Brighton against Arsenal at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Golazo Network. And on Sunday, a Manchester derby, Manchester United against Manchester City at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on the Golazo Network. Lisa, which of those matches do you have your eye on? The Manchester Derby. Of course, Jenny, this is huge. It's being played at Old Trafford. Um, and you have to look at recent history of both of these sides because Manchester City, um, they're coming off a big loss. 1-0 to Brighton, a side that is struggling right now when you look at City and their efficiency in front of goal. And they're two most recent matches for Manchester City uh, against Brighton, 35 shots on and they had zero goals to show for that one. And then you look uh, against Arsenal, they had 17 shots against Arsenal. So the quality of chances that City are getting in these matches just aren't enough at this point. And now that is not the way that they want to roll into this match against Manchester United, right? Coming off of a big loss, there's a lot to look at. And when you look at uh, with this City side and the fact that, yes, they're able to get shots and they're able to get chances, but the main game plan for Man Manchester City is to get the ball wide and to send crosses into the box. You've got Bunny Shaw as your, your target inside the box. That's who you want to find. But defensively, it's, it's somewhat easy to defend against if you know that that's what you're getting against this Manchester City side. United knows that, so they're coming into this match. They just have to keep the ball out and wide, be the first ones to get it when it comes inside the box. Um, and it, there's a lot of pressure on City and Gareth Taylor to turn this around because they're going up against a Manchester United team that is undefeated in league play, and this City side has to respond. Now, there's another key factor in this one. No Super League team has ever won the Women's Super League with more than two losses in a season. This could be the year that things change, and City fans are going to want me to say that because Manchester City already has two losses. So this game against Manchester United is going to be really telling for what the potential rest of the season could look like for Manchester City. Well, for Manchester City, they have the most clean sheets in this competition along with Chelsea. Uh, having such a tight defense but not being able to score on the attacking end. If you're on the other end of this, Manchester United, how are you scoring against a team that has not given away many goals? You've got to hit them early and you've got to hit them fast. That has to be the game plan for Manchester United. They've got a good roster, right? And they've got presence and players that can uh, attack 
They're coming off a huge 5-0 win over West Ham, so they've got confidence flying with them. And when you look back at that West Ham game, uh, there was five different goal scorers for United. So Mm -hmm. that has to be the key for United in this match against City is they've got to start the game fast on the front foot and then score with a plethora of players. Keep it balanced because that's what's really hard to defend against when you're City. Who's going to get the ball? Any player is dangerous with it. And then keep the ball rolling because City's confidence is down. They have to climb back into this Super League right now. Um, This game is going to be really exciting. United's hosting it as well, so that gives them that extra little pulse to have the fans behind them as well. Well, if you're Manchester City, um, obviously you have such great attackers and Bunny Shaw and Mary Fowler um, and Chloe Kelly. Like All of these players are there and they have the opportunities to score some goals, but they're unable to finish them. What do they need to be, besides more clinical in the box, to kind of fix this one? Honestly, that's it, Jenny. I I think that in order to find the back of the net, of course, they have to be more clinical because their XG against Brighton was two and a half, and they couldn't find the back of the net. They also have to have a lot more creativity in the box. They can't just be whipping balls in and expect it to find the back of the net. They have to have fluidity and freedom in their attacking and with their players interchanging positions, and that creativity and the freedom is is what's going to help unlock United's back, back line. You talk about Manchester City. Obviously, they're coming off of a bit of an upset because Brighton beat them last week. We're going to go ahead and turn our attention to Brighton against Arsenal. Um, Brighton winless in their last five home matches. Arsenal started their season pretty poorly, but they've won the last five in all competitions, so they started to get a hang of things. Arsenal did. They they found their groove a little bit. Even when you look at last week for Arsenal, they played against Leicester, and they go down two goals. They come back and score six. So Arsenal is, is feeling themselves to say that. The least right now and now they go against a Brighton side that's also feeling pretty confident because they did just get that first ever win over Manchester City last week um, and this is a Brighton side that they're in a bit of transition in the league right now with the players that they've brought in and head coach Melissa Phillips and what she's been able to do with this side. She's trying to instill confidence in them. Of course, the win last week does that, but it's going to be a test now. Going up against Arsenal, a side that is really composed. They are organized. They know how to find the back of the net. It's it's going to be a similar game plan, honestly, for Brighton. If they can hold out, keep it 0-0, nil-nil until the half, then go into the second 45 with a, a bit of a different game plan because now at that point, you're frustrating your opposition. We saw it happen with City last week. Arsenal can potentially do the same thing, but with Brighton, they're going to have to lean a little bit on their goalkeeper because Sophie Bagley has done a really good job. She was one of 11 signings that Melissa Phillips has brought into this side. She's going to have to come up with a big game again against Arsenal. I love how much credit you give to goalkeepers. They don't get enough enough credit, um, but if you're uh, Brighton... Now, now Jenny, honestly, Sophie, she, um, Bagley, after that City game, she did say to reporters that she was like, my back line did a lot of the work. I didn't have to make so many crazy saves because they stopped a lot of the shots from getting to me or they followed up on their runners, so it was just an easy grab for her. So I do like to give the goalkeeper a shout-out because they're always deflecting. Yes, they're very <laughs> humble, it seems. Um, but for Arsenal, Sina Baxinius has scored in her last three matches in all competition. If you're Brighton, how are you shutting down a player that has been on her horse lately and been so lethal? Baxinius is lethal, and, and she's always going to find the ball. So can you limit her touches on the space, whether that's double teaming her and it's being physical inside the box. Brighton has to get a body on Blackstinius and not let her get away from it, whether it's in transition or aerial presence in the box. You've got to have one in front, one behind. Uh, just put a little pressure on her. Don't let her get the ball so easily. She's still going to get it, but 
But if you can limit her touches, that's that has to be the key for Brighton. I feel like she's so good at getting off the ball quickly, though. So it's very difficult to mark a player that has so many different aspects to her game. She's quick on the 1v1. She has the ability to turn out of things. I mean, what, what a great player there. Let's move our attention to Chelsea against Liverpool. Chelsea has the best offense in the league. They're averaging three goals per match. They have scored <laughs> 15 goals. In the last four matches in WSL, that shows you how lethal they are up top. And they're up against the Liverpool team that's been pretty hot and cold, Lisa. Yeah, Chelsea is a side that's also playing in Champions League right now. And they just drew to a, a, a team that they needed to win that match against. So that's not exactly what you want to see from this Chelsea Which side. isn't their fault. It, it's not their fault. It was a frustrating game. And I need these players to be able to take that frustration and turn it into positive football in this match. Because against Liverpool, um, this is a Liverpool side that's coming off a 1-1 draw. They're, they're a Liverpool team that's trying to continue to climb the standings. They're fifth right now. They want to break into that top four. So they're going to go against a, a best side, right? Chelsea knows that. They're always going to get the best side that their opposition is going to put out. Um, I mean, you're the Blues expert over here. What do you think about this Chelsea matchup? Oh, I always am betting on Chelsea <laughs> and the Blues because I covered them for quite a while where I had to cut highlights um, of their games, and they score from all different areas. I mean, we just talked about that stat right there with how many goals Chelsea scores. 15 goals in the last mm -hmm. four matches is not real. That is not a real like ability to score that many goals in such a short period of time. And for all your goals to come from different people, yeah. it's very hard to shut a team down like that. And in a variety of ways. They get 100%. goals from crosses. Of course, Sam Kirsch is always finding her nugget on the end of it. They've got shots from distance. Lauren James had a bullet off the, the crossbar in the Champions League match. So there are a number of different ways and weapons that Chelsea can score. Well, Emma Hayes has a great job of recruiting. We talked about her scouting uh, young players, but also just being able to put the best players on the field at the same time has been very interesting to watch her do, and we're excited to see her do it for the U.S. Women's National Team. Coming up next, we're going to recap Match Day 1 of the Women's Champions League with Sandra. You won't want to miss it. Welcome back to Attacking Third. Sandra Herrera is back with us to discuss a crazy first match day in the UWCL that included comebacks and controversy. Let's go ahead and get started with Real Madrid and Chelsea. We saw Emma Hayes there. Lisa? In the 10th minute, it is Spain's superstar from the World Cup, Olga Carmona, the left back. She takes a beautiful touch and starts the scoring. That shot actually takes a double deflection, but it's up to Ashley Lawrence to cut it back, float this in back post, and it's Neve Charles with a header from inside the box. Jenny, this goes from right back. Ashley Lawrence all the way to the left back in Neve Charles for this equalizing goal. It's 1-1, 74th minute. Who else but down the flank again. It's Neve Charles. She chips it in and Sam Kerr. How beautiful is that? She elevates herself. She loses her defender inside the box and the power behind this. It's not much. It's just a redirect, but it's enough to do the job for Chelsea, at least until this play outside the box. Jesse Fleming, she takes down the player on Real Madrid. It is outside the box but the referee calls it a penalty. That is one of the controversial calls in this match. Olga Carmona, the goal scorer from the first half, she puts it away for Real Madrid, and ultimately it's a 2-2 draw in this match between these two sides. But if you take a look at our images, the top picture is the penalty. That is where the foul occurs. It's incredible acting, frankly, because it ends up being a penalty. And at the very end of regulation, there is another goal by Chelsea. Um, it is by Neve Charles. She gets a goal at the 
end of stoppage time, and it is called back due to offsides. That's the bottom picture. Neve Charles is circled, and you can see Sam Kerr and another Chelsea teammate. They are offside. Charles isn't. That goal is called back, and uh, essentially the referee robbing Chelsea of this win. I was about to say both of those calls going against the Blues there. Sandra, would you want to speak about this? I mean, obviously Emma Hayes cannot be happy with how these decisions went. I'd imagine not, you know, listening to her a little bit in, in some of her earlier press conference remarks today, she, I think she did a good job of kind of, um, you know, looking, spinning things forward and looking ahead to their Women's Super League match this weekend. But we all saw it, you know, even if even if coaches and players are doing their best to not uh, get fined for some of the calls that uh, took place. I think these were pretty glaring, though. I think having... The screenshots, having the highlights, being able to go back and take a look at that, that's disappointing. Those are moments that absolutely affect the game. You know, we see Carmona step up, ice this penalty, and it was venomous as well. Like, it was just absolutely clinical to slot that back uh, into the back of the net. And it just absolutely sucks a little bit of the momentum out of the game a little bit, I think, especially if you're the opposing team on, on the road, the visiting side. So I think at that point, to have the penalty kind of come into play and shake up the game a little bit. You don't ever want it to turn into a moment where you're talking about the officiating, but here we are. Exactly, Sandra. It is not great to see, especially because this is Champions League. This is um, the best of the best. I do want to give a shout-out to Real Madrid goalkeeper Misa Rodriguez. Um, a really incredible game. She kept Real Madrid in this one because Chelsea had a lot of good opportunities. They had good moments, but six saves for Rodriguez. She did get one lucky off the post. And, and then, of course, the offside call that was called back at the very end of the game for Real Madrid to sneak out with a point. Yeah, but well, both of these teams are incredibly massive. Great shout there with the goalkeeper, but but Real Madrid is unbeaten in the last seven UEFA home matches. Obviously, this game was at their home stadium. Chelsea unbeaten in the last six Champions League group stage matches. Both of these teams coming in hot. And for it to end in a draw, a little bit of disservice to Chelsea on those two calls. But this is a team that, that makes it all the way through, all the time. So we, we <laughs> expect them to make it back. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the next match. Bayern against Roma. Roma has an amazing second half in this one. But they come back from a 2-0 down deficit in the second half. Lisa, take us through it. This was an incredible game between Roma and Bayern Munich. Um, at the start of this match, there was a lot of talk about these two sides because both sides are at the head of their domestic leagues. It starts with Bayern's set piece. And this is a another controversial call we saw in the Women's Champions League because as this set piece comes in, the initial ball could potentially be a handball, maybe an offside there. But ultimately, the goal is good. It is tapped in. There are Beautiful replays, and you see the celebration. Byron up 1-0 at the end of the first half. Double deflection again. This is incredible. It ultimately is called an own goal against Roma. Second half. Roma, they are down 2-0, and they start to find their momentum. It's Evelyn Viennes on the break against all momentum against Bayern Viennes. She slots this home, barely sneaking it past both defender and goalkeeper in the 58th minute. Roma starting to climb up, but it's the final minutes of this game. This ball is crossed into the box. Um, it, it then gets shot, deflected right back to her, 
and Roma gets the equalizer. At the end of this match, Jenny, Roma were celebrating like they had just won the entirety of the Champions League. They, they go down 2-0 against Bayern, and they crawl their way back into this game. And meanwhile, Bayern, they were incredibly disappointed with themselves at the end of this 90 minutes because they should have they won. They should have put it to bed when it was 2-0. But for Roma to have a chance in the 95th minute to win it, and it gets cleared off the line, Sandra, they missed the three points there. Roma. Incredible. You love to see it. This is why people tune in to these Champions League matches. Look, I, I was uh, nervous when that build up to that final stoppage time run by Roma because you just felt that momentum. They were ch they were still absolutely chasing the game and taking it to, to Bayern. And you almost kind of felt like there's there's something special is going to happen here. So the fact that the keeper gets a mitt on it, but it's just not enough. And you fight, fight, fight to find the breakthrough. Walking away with a point in a, in a tough group, I think, yeah, of course you're going to celebrate. You're going to to cheer on each other and say, what what a fight that we all had to make sure that we secure a point. I like that we go through these two games, how we went through this game with Roma's comeback and then uh, starting with Real Madrid and Chelsea, because I think you see a, maybe a little bit of a difference in, in um, you know, emotion post game and, and what that feels like for for these teams. But massive for Roma to, to not stop, to not get up. And I think for for Bayern. Um, tough to leave those three points, essentially. You're only walking out with uh, with the one, with the draw, you know, and you already have to deal with maybe, you know, injuries along the way. They weren't going to, they knew they weren't going to have uh, Pernod Harder in this game, massive uh, attacking threat for them. So to have maybe had the three points as a cushion, knowing that she's going to, you know, be out for, for some time, maybe that would have felt a little bit better. So disappointing, I'm sure, for them to, to not be able to rack those all up at home especially when it's at home, like you mentioned there, Sandra. Um, but a big player on Roma who has been on a roll for them lately and really contributes to their success is Evelyn Viennes. Lisa, tell me more about her. Yeah, Evelyn Viennes, is, she's done a really good job. That's her fourth goal in, in a row and her first Champions League goal. So if she can get rolling for Roma right now, it, it's the perfect time for them because this Roma side, they're unbeaten in all competitions this year. And the fact that they're starting their Champions League run like this to come back from behind, incredible, incredible job. And it all starts with this player in Vienna. She gets the comeback goal to start Roma to climb back into this game. She's got to stay hot because she's getting hot at the right time. Oh, yes, she is. It's great to see them there. Let's go ahead and move on to the other match, Ajax against PSG. This was a big one, and PSG played in Amsterdam. This was a huge match, Jenny. You look at this Ajax side. Um, it's the first time that a, a Dutch club is reaching the Champions League group stages. And they enter this match, and they just get on a roll. It's one quick transition break moment. And Hoekstra, she gets this shot deflected. And then it's a rebound back of the net for Ajax. And this is completely against the run of play. At this point, PSG had a number of opportunities and a number of chances, um, and against the Green Ajax, they get this opening goal in the 34th minute off of a deflection. Then their second goal coming in the very end of the first half for Ajax. They get the second one from Spitza. Um, in this moment, you can see it here as they're just attacking down the end. The cross coming into the box, there's a penalty kick called here as she gets taken down. That's Ashley Worden who draws the penalty. Claire Hunt on PSG doing that and there is the goal off the penalty kick spot incredible for Ajax to get two goals 
over PSG. I mean, the penalty, it, it was just not good for PSG in this group now as this stands because PSG is at the bottom of the table. Yeah, we see here that they have their fourth straight Champions League win by a clean sheet. And as we look at this right here, Lily Johannes is the first player born in or after 2007 to have started a <laughs> UWCL match. That's insane and that makes me feel incredibly old. But the fact that she is 16 years old and performing for Ajax at this level. I mean, also on PSG side, Corbin Albert. This is like Gen Z or Gen <laughs> Alpha coming They're out. Children. In, in, They're children, frankly. At 16 years old, I was not playing in Champions League. Um, but what do you think about Emma Hayes? Because both of these are American players playing in these two Champions League matches. And she's been known to, to tap into talent and scout them very early on, Sandra. Do you think she has her eyes on them? Well, she's definitely got a, a close-up view, right, of, of, of the European play, the Americans who are playing in the European competition right now. So I hope so. I'm hopeful for it. Look, Corbin Albert and uh, Johannes are two players who are very exciting, up and coming. I, I think when we're looking at this particular game between these two sides, I, I would even venture and argue to say that PSG struggled at times to ever really generate anything moving forward. But Corbin Albert at least had some stretches where you could see her trying to to link up and get some attacking play and be more a little bit more collaborative but i think for for ix for johannes playing with the dutch side i think these are all going to be ex matches that bode well for them in the future i think when we eventually do see emma hayes take a look at the player pool and perhaps try to expand that pool a little bit these are absolutely players that we're going to see eventually called into to future camps. Maybe not right now in this very narrow eight-month buildup to an Olympics. We might actually see more of that come out post-Olympics, which is what we typically see uh, in between cycles from head coaches with national teams. But uh, yeah, up, up front and center to get an eyes view on, on these two in Champions League. Exactly, Sandra. I think that there's just not enough time to incorporate um, brand new players before the Olympics. However, there's a long-term goal for U.S. soccer, for the women's national team, for Emma Hayes. And these players have to be on the radar for Emma Hayes. Um, it, it doesn't matter what league you're playing in, right? You, you look at the Dutch league in Ajax maybe, and, and they haven't had as much success as Chelsea domestically. However, they're playing in the Champions League, and they just got a 2-0 win over PSG. So I, I think it, it bodes well for a good luck. It deserves some eyes for sure. Sure. Um, Sandra, I know that Barcelona played against Benfica and that was a 5-0 win there. But what I'm looking forward to is Real Madrid against Barcelona. El Clásico is happening. So they're going to turn their attention after that Champions League match to the league play. When we come back, expansion sides, Bay FC's first ever signing, Alex Luera, joins us. Stay tuned. This is a really big signing for Bay FC. This is their franchise player. Now a shot from distance, Luana! What a goal! Ooh, that's dangerous. It's the loose shot. And in! On Wednesday, Alex Luera was announced as Bay FC's first club signing. She joins us now. First of all, Alex, congratulations. You are the franchise player for Bay FC. How does it feel? Yeah, thank you. It's insane, um, incredible, um, a slightly overwhelming, but it's just I, I'm so grateful and happy. I love Bay Area, um, so I, I'm very excited.
Well, I see that you're excited, but you did reference on your Instagram post that you weren't expecting this trade, pledging your loyalty to Kansas City, which you had signed a new three-year contract for. What are the emotions and how this process has been? Yeah, I think there's just a lot of emotions, um, but... I am somebody who focuses on the positive. So even though I was a bit caught off guard, um, I'm so excited for it. Um, I think that God closes doors to open new ones that we're not expecting because he has something in store for us there. And so I'm just super pumped. Um, I love Bay Area. I love what they're doing with the club. I love the people involved in the club. Um, So I'm just excited to be surrounded by um, Bay Area itself and then good people, good teammates. So yeah, I'm really excited. Alex, we are very excited for you, and I've had the pleasure to watch, call your games in the NWSL for the last two years. But there are some San Francisco Bay Area fans that don't know your game and are really looking forward to watching you on the pitch. What would you tell those new Bay FC fans about your style of play? Yeah, my style of play, I'm very possession-based. Um, I like to I like to be on the ball um, as much as possible, just spraying the ball wide, getting forward, attacking, defending. Um, I like to do it all, and I'm going to do it all for my teammates. And so um, I'm just looking forward to the fans that don't know who I am just to see kind of my heart and my determination um, to get the dub for, for them and for the club. So, yeah, even though they don't know who I am, I'm excited to, to prove myself to them and show them that um, – I was a good first signing. (laughs) (laughs) There were so many different players that they could have chosen, but they went with you. You mentioned liking the ownership group there, Alex. Uh, I know you have a special relationship with Leslie Osborne. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, she's incredible. Um, Just the person that she is, her profession, like everything she does, I admire. She's um, my mentor, my friend, um, and family to me. I got to nanny her, her kids. Um, when she only had two and then I got to be a part of the third baby and, and it's just incredible. Their family is just so welcoming and loving and supportive. And, and I have nothing but good things to say about them. And and I think that's part of the reason I'm so excited to go back is because I missed two years of the girls' lives and, and I love them like they're my own and, and they're like my family. So, um, yeah, she's incredible. Ricky's incredible. And the girls, they are rambunctious and crazy and beautiful. And I just love them to death. So, um, yeah, I, I really value our relationship a lot. I'm sure those girls will be rocking a Luera jersey for Bay FC in no time at all. But Leslie Osborne, along with three other incredible soccer players, Ali Wagner, Danielle Slayton, uh, Brandy Chastain, this is an incredible ownership group. And uh, they were superstars on the pitch. So your relationship with Leslie, it is very personal and, and family oriented. But has she taught you anything about soccer or how to elevate your game or anything on the field? Oh yeah. Um, she doesn't sugarcoat it. Um, and neither does Brandy and Allie, but, um, it's such an incredible asset to have them as mentors and and as friends. Um, because I know that I can go to any single one of them. And if I'm struggling with something in my game, I know that I can go to them and ask for their advice and their opinions. And, and they're going to tell me straight up. Um, and I appreciate that because I'm a very straight up person and I have high aspirations for myself. And I know that with their guidance and their help, um, that I can get there. So it's, it's incredible just to, to learn from them. Well, someone else you're going to be learning from is Albertine Montoya, named as the head coach for Bay FC. Have you gotten to speak to him? I have, yes, him and Lucy, and they are incredible. Um, I'm equally as excited to be playing under Albertine as he is to be coaching me. So um, I'm looking forward to having more conversations, but our first initial one was 
Incredible. He's, he's an awesome person, awesome coach. Um, so I, I'm very excited for this new, um, this new journey. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about what he's saying that the team wants to build there? Just because you did speak to him and them signing you as their first player means that you're at the core of what they want to build there. Yeah, he was talking a lot about um, possession. He wants to be possession oriented, but also know when to attack. Um, and I think I I do have that asset in my in my bag. Um, so just being able to to be patient, um, possess, you know, and then when we see an opportunity, um, just go for it. And so um, attacking wise, that's the plan. And defensively, just you know, do everything that we can. Uh, be patient, build out of the back, um, be determined and relentless when, when we're under attack. And so um, everything that he, he wants to do with everything that he has envisioned for this club and for this team, um, I feel like I can give that and more. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to, to have this team built around what he's looking forward to doing and then also what I can contribute. Alex, we booked this interview with you and we were super excited. We did not know it was a BOGO deal. Buy one, get one free. <laughs> Who is your friend over your shoulder that has joined our interview? Yes, this is Nico. Um, he's one. And anytime I'm sitting in this spot, he'll either sit, well, with the boxes, he found a new spot to lay, but usually he'll come and lay on my lap and any anytime I sit in a certain spot. So I'm actually shocked that he's not on my lap right now and he's sitting behind me. Oh, but Nico. yes, it is awesome to buy one, get one with me and him. <laughs> <laughs> Nico is incredibly photogenic for this interview. Um, how does he do with the soccer ball? He, he actually has little balls. He plays fetch, which is crazy. I always tell people he's like a dog in a cat's body and look at him just posing. <laughs> he's so funny, but... Yeah, he, he goes crazy with the balls. We'll run after them, chase them, and, like, hit them. I even have a video um, of him running and dribbling the ball. It's it's so funny. He's he's so funny. Alex, you are headed to another expansion side in the NWSL with Bay FC. You spent your last two seasons being drafted to Kansas City Current, who was an expansion side as well. Being with KC Current as an expansion team, what experiences are you hoping to take with you to Bay FC? Yeah, I think it's most important just being adaptable. Um, things aren't always going to go as expected and it's not going to go smoothly all the time. Um, but just being adaptable, having the right mentality about it. Um, we're going to get challenges. We're going to be faced with adversity, but um, it's the way that we come together and the way that we look at the situation um, that's really going to determine the outcome. Alex, it is now the off season as well. You've already determined where your home will be for next year, but how are you spending your off season in the next couple months of the winter? Yeah, it's actually a really exciting off season. Um, I'm going to be home in December for maybe a total of a week um, because I'm going to be traveling to Mexico with my family um, and then Hawaii. And then I'm also going on a mission trip to Honduras in the first week of December. So I'm very excited about that. Okay. You spoke a lot about, you know, Christ and how he get, guides you in all of these situations and the doors closing. What, tell us more about this mission trip. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's actually really funny how this came about because when I got injured this past season, I had been um, kind of struggling with my identity in Christ and like my identity outside of being a soccer player, because that's all I've really thought of myself um, growing up. And so it's just, I learned so much, um, just the way that he loves and what he thinks of me and what he views and what my purpose in, in life is. And, and although it is 
to enjoy playing soccer. My purpose is to share the gospel and the good word. And so um, I'm really looking forward to doing that in Honduras, but also not just talking about God with them, but also learning about them, their culture, um, the things that they do day in and day out. So I think it's going to be um, an equal learning opportunity for them and me. That's beautiful, Alex. Uh, last question here. I know you're from Santa Clara, going to college there. How many of these Santa Clara players are you trying to get in to Bay FC? I, it's, it's so funny because I actually was talking to Julie Doyle. Um, she plays for Orlando, and I was talking to her like, would you ever like go back to Bay Area? Like We could have a Santa Clara reunion. And so before this even happened, we were all having conversations about like, Santa Clara reunion, like, let's go. Um, but now that, I, now that I've like been signed, I'm going to let Lucy do all that. Um, <laughs> she gets paid the big bucks to do that. So I trust her, um, and her and her, the people that she's going to pick and hopefully, you know what, it'll be a Santa Clara reunion. Of course. Uh, so great to hear from you, Alex. Good luck with everything. And Nico, it was a pleasure. Bye Nico. <laughs> No Thank attention. you so much. <laughs> We're going to have more Attacking Third brought to you by the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Card. Reward your passions and earn points when you stay close to the action. The NWSL offseason is in full swing with two signings already announced by expansion sides Bay FC and Utah Royals. Let's go ahead and get started with Michaela Clough to the Utah Royals. What are you expecting in this one, Lisa? Yeah, this is a really big trade for Utah Royals. It's their first ever player signing in Michaela Clough. She's um, from Utah. She went to BYU. She's a midfielder. She played two seasons with Orlando Pride. She was a second-round draft pick for Orlando, and now Utah has decided to build their club around her. It's an exciting move. But, Jenny, it's more exciting that we're starting to see these teams, Bay FC and Utah, fill out their rosters about what kind of players they want to have and, and who they want to bring in. Because even midfielder Alex Lueta from Kansas City being traded to Bay FC, I mean, these are franchise players. That This is what these clubs want to build their teams around. And the style of play is really showing from these first two players. Yeah, those core players are where the team is going to be built. And you can see that in the and, different styles and they're they want to play. These two are really young they're players. They've only on played building. two seasons For in sure. the league, which I think is is really cool. Okay, but just as you mentioned Bay FC, Bay FC and Racing Louisville also made a trade. Bay FC gets a third round draft pick and $235,000 and protection from the expansion draft. What else are you expecting to see out of these moves here? A lot of protection in the expansion draft. These teams across the NWSL, they don't want their, their players and their club to be taken apart by an expansion draft that happens on the fly. So over the next couple of weeks until that expansion draft in mid-December, I imagine we're going to see a lot of NWSL clubs trading for draft picks like this one between Racing Louisville and Bay FC or even players Orlando and Kansas City making those trades because right now Orlando, Kansas City and Racing Louisville are all protected from Bay FC in the expansion draft. Um, there's still a lot of other clubs though so more news is definitely going to come out about this to protect their own clubs. But this is an interesting aspect of this expansion right because when you're a player you don't really have a say so in this so if you're in the front office and you're saying hey we will offer for you protection. That means a lot for these players who have made a home where they are. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of trust that goes between the front office and these players. And I wouldn't say that no player knows what's happening. There are definitely some conversations, right? Uh, when you look at the free agency across the league, those players have the freedom to call 
any club that they want and say, hey, I, I make a case for themselves. I want to play there. So the CBA has given some power back to the players, but there's definitely not enough. So protection in the expansion draft by clubs is a way to protect their players. And, and Racing Louisville doing a great job of that right now because in this trade with Bay FC, they give away some some allocation money and a draft pick and they retain their roster that they're looking to build with. Well, Lisa, you did say that, you know, they have these conversations and they can get protected and whatever, but we just saw with Alex Loera, they yeah. promised her that she was protected and obviously this has come to change. Um, what other chaos can we expect in the next coming days? Oh my gosh, so much chaos. Trades, money moving around. You have to keep track of the money. Bay FC, they're getting a lot of it. What are they going to do with it all, Jenny? Oh, I'm so excited <laughs> to keep in line. That expansion draft is happening December 15th. Thank you guys so much for tuning into Attacking Third, brought to you by the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Card Reward your passion and earn points when you stay close to the action. We'll be back on Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Lisa Roman and I signing off here from everyone here at Attacking Third and Golazo Network. Thank you.